In this episode, we're just going to be talking about the changes to the rules that we made in arc one. Um, and then, do we have any new rules or just changed ones? Um, there's a critical hit that we are adjusting. Um, there's just the criticals in general that we're adjusting. Um, and then we're adjusting the AP spent to improve forms. Those are the two biggest ones. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's what we're doing. Cool. So first thing that I wanted to address um, is initiative. We made the decision in the beginning of Arc 1 that we're going to test um, kind of a Star Wars role-playing game decision um, where when you roll your initiative, your initiative marks a point for like an ally who's aligned with you to go. And then an enemy, their initiative that they roll is going to mark where an enemy that is aligned with them is going to go. So instead of it going Richard, Brittany, enemy, Mal, Maddie, enemy, it would go enemy, any ally, any ally, enemy, any ally, any ally, I think is how I just said it. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that's that's kind of what we, we decided to do. Um, do we want to talk about how we feel like that went in arc one really quick? Um, I feel like it went really well. Uh, I typically find it a little bit um, annoying to track initiative as a whole by like counting everybody's numbers and whatever. And that might just be because I'm used to, I'm usually the one tracking initiative, but um, it was just really, it was a lot easier and it was nice because we could kind of use that to plan out what we were going to do. So we can be like, oh, okay, so if you, so you go now and then I will go after and that will make it so that I can like feed off of your action or whatever. Um, so I like it because instead of having to like come up on my turn and decide, hey, I'm going to hold my action until this happens or until you can do something, we can instead just decide at the top of the round, like, you go first or I can go first and it, it helps kind of strategize through the round as opposed to like trying to make those decisions on each turn you can kind of make that decision at the beginning and then play through the whole round and I kind of like it I feel like it simplified the way we did things I really like that I didn't actually even think about that point um, when I was writing the effects and stuff mm-hmm. um, but it was like it was really clear that you guys really thought about that during the um, the fight with the consumed because you guys had to like warp in different places and then mm-hmm. end up in different places and then yeah. also like richard en- would end up going like two times in a row mm-hmm. um because he'd go at the end of the order and then at the top of the new order which um is something that i did write down as a potential complication but i don't really mind it i think that's a really cool way of doing it as long as everybody else is on board right and then if you do it that way then i do go twice but then at the same time like then I have to wait a whole round for everyone else to finish before I go again. I almost feel like it makes more sense to do it this way. Like, in an actual fight. Not that I've been in an actual <laughs> real fight. But, um, you know, if you have, like, a group of people, it makes a little more sense to be more reactionary. And I feel like that allo- like I feel like this allows us to be a little bit more reactionary with it. As opposed to, like, well, it's my turn. Guess I'm going to hit something. That is a good thing for it. I think also on the other side, a negative thing could be like if you have a group of people who aren't good at making decisions, um, like sometimes we can be not good at making decisions. And so you have to be like, well, I don't know. Where do I want to go? Where do you want to go? Where with the more structured setup, you don't have to worry about that. But I don't know. I like, I think, especially since what we're doing with Necroforge is based more on the things you want to do as opposed to the things that you have to do. I think this fits with what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, I would like to quickly touch on some of those complications that I mentioned. I did identify more complications for this one than I think any others, at least that we could, um, we could find ways to correct. Hmm. Um, the first one was like I told, like I said, um, Richard, that Thurgo, like, went twice. That could be a potential mm-hmm. complication. I, I don't mind it that much, but, you know, just in case. Um, and then the big one for me was, like, when forms would have a effect that would repeat each round. Mm, um, right. when, the, when, when did those take effect? Do they take effect at the top of the order? 
Do they take effect at the beginning of that creature's turn? Do they take effect at the same location in the order on that turn? So I think that we'd have to identify where these effects take place, like when the the effects take place um, in the initiative order, rather than just say at the beginning of this creature's turn and like Mm. be more specific about that. I think that it would make the most sense to just mark it where it happened in the initiative order and then have it occur at that same place regardless of whether or not that character goes at that specific spot. So we could do something where it it happens when it is cast, but then if it has a reoccurring effect, it would happen at the end of every round order. So on the very oh, first okay. turn it's cast, it happens on the caster's turn... And then after that round, and every round after, it would happen at the very end of every round. Well, I think doing it that way also kind of gives the enemies an additional kind of turn, which kind of also fits into us trying to make this more difficult. Um, Because instead of, if, if the caster went before everyone else, then by that final turn, if a monster would have died at the beginning, because it is that cast, when that caster put it out, they get that additional round until the end of that turn. So from what I understand, if I'm if I understood you correctly, Richard, mm-hmm. when a when a creature casts a form and it has a repeat effect, it be that effect takes place at the end of each round. Correct. After the first. So it would immediately react okay. on the caster's first turn, and then every turn after that it would be the end of the round. Okay. I like that. Cool. You on board, Brett? Yeah, that sounds great to me. All right, cool. cool. So then um, one of the other things, actually, before I keep going into complications, uh, an effect that I really liked that I actually commented on while we were playing was that um, there was no need to determine tiebreakers between allies. So you didn't have to like re-roll three times or figure out whose dexterity was higher. If it was two allies who rolled the same... On an, an, on an initiative, then, they I mean, it doesn't matter because they're just two allies going in the same spot. Um, but if an ally and an enemy were to tie, we do still have to take that pause and play to determine who would go first as a tiebreaker. Or we could just set it as a thing, like, if an enemy and an ally make a tie, the enemy would go ahead. Which I think you actually said, yeah. if I remember. I think okay. we did. Okay, yeah. I'm which I'm on board with. Because then there's no pause, you take that initiative, the DM would hear, like, oh, these are the numbers, and then put it in an initiative order, and there would be no need to continue re-rolling or do additional, make additional steps. It would just fit that way. I like it. Yeah, I like that too. Then the last thing is, I wrote that order can become confusing if initiative order turns taken and rounds completed are not tracked. Because, like, people just go whenever the hell they want then. So this actually requires that you, like, really pay attention to where you are in the round. Which is not hard. Like, I was just tally marking, like, where we were. Um, Mm. But if you're, like, reliant on, oh, I always go after Richard, then that has to change. So that's one of the complications that, like, people will just have to adjust to if we decide to keep this initiative rule. And I think out of complications that doesn't sound awful like so you have to just remember that unally goes here like that i don't know it seems like as complications go that's not awful no i agree okay that was all i had for complications did you guys identify any other potential complications in that one um it doesn't seem super complicated to me i mean all of this is just assuming that the dm even decides to use initiative Um, Because I know some DMs decide that uh, heck initiative and then they just don't use it and they just have players go whenever they feel like going. Um, I know that we've definitely done that before. So I think that it's it's great for people who do want to track initiative for this to be the way that it happens. All right. Moving on to the next rule that we uh, adjusted and addressed. This was back in the prologue. Um, During the fight with the creeper ambassador, um, a Mm. couple people fell a few times and because of that we had to rapidly make decisions on how falling damage was going to work and what we decided was that um for each meter that a person fell they would take 1d6 damage which means that if you fell five meters you would take 5d6 damage but 
if you have athletics, endurance, or acrobatics, you can roll that skill, and the number rolled would be the amount that would be taken off the damage. Yeah, I really liked that, actually. Like, even though it was a snap kind of last-minute decision, I felt that it was, like, a really good one and a really interesting way to track that sort of thing. Yeah, and I really like it, too, because it, like, I I keep saying this game has made me feel a lot more narratively, or think a lot more narratively, and so I think doing that helps with that as well, because if you have an acrobatics character, you would do some jumps or flips or something, and if you just had a pure endurance build, you would just freaking land and take it, and, like, I kind of like the way we've done it that way. Um, so what I wrote is some of the effects, because I agree with you guys. Um, I, I really love this, but like these are rules that I helped come up with, so I may not be the best person to trust on whether or not these rules are great. Um, but one of the effects I wrote was that this provides a little more luck versus skill balance rather than just, oh, you're falling from a certain height, and it's all luck on how much you take. Um, whereas if you have skills to be able to like limit the amount of damage that you're taking then you're getting that nice skill luck balance that every game needs so like if you have acrobatics you can like roll into it as opposed to you know just like falling and hitting your face on the ground um and then the other thing that i wrote was it also provides a combat incentive to gain ranks in the acrobatics athletics and endurance skills any other effects that you guys witnessed i know we didn't do a lot of falling damage in the last arc because that didn't happen much but it could in this next one so that's why i wanted to address it um so i noticed on here that you mentioned as a complication that uh via this method it could be you could potentially negate completely all the damage that you would take from the fall and i think we could leave that in there with like a caveat for dms like if you want to continue to have them take this damage even if they can negate all of it add like a a minimum so if you fall five meters you'll take a minimum of five plus these d6 potentially um or just leave it that way and be like yes your athletics is so freaking high you fell 10 meters and you were able to super superhero landing the crap out of it or something i was thinking about writing that the skill the, the number that you roll in the skill negates the damage that you take to a minimum of one but I do kind of like the one per meter minimum. If that's something that you guys like. I mean, this is not something that I'm like really concerned about. I, I think I wrote that it requires more end game testing mm-hmm. to know for sure if that's gonna have like if that's gonna take effect. Cause I mean I'm I was thinking about creating a lift form where you could lift an object and then later, depending on the rank that you use it in, a person X amount of meters into the air and then just drop them. Um kind of like a levitate spell from D&D that will allow you to move different places but then also has the possibility of like killing somebody if you wanted it to. Right. Um, I, I'm sorry. I really like the idea of this because I'm wanting to build a roguelike character who would wand and if I could levitate like four or five dudes and just lift them incredible. up in the air and dump them, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I will work so, on. I have like two forms I need to build right now. So bear with me. Did you guys have any other complications you wanted to bring up before I go into my next one? No, I don't think no. so. I think well, if we did one, like a minimum one per meter. Like if you fell ten meters, you'd still be taking ten damage, which is like a lot. Well, ten meters is like a lot. I guess one ten meter, meters is like a lot. Is, no, you're right. You're yeah, right. Well, one meter yeah. is five feet. That's almost as tall as myself. Like One meter is like three feet. Is like three feet. Oh, is it three? Um, yeah, it's like three feet. Don't listen to me. It's like a yardstick. Think so, yardstick. So it's, like, it's like half of me. Yeah. So ten is still like thirty feet, though. No, That's no, you're you're right. You're right. That would just so you guys know be more damage than what D and D usually does. D and D usually right. does one d ten per ten feet. Right. Well, and you were saying one d six per meter right yeah mm-hmm. are you not comfortable with that it's just like a lot i it, might i mean it feels like a lot and then if you think about the fact that um atticus had 228 hit points then it's not a lot he just did right. 10 atticus, damage atticus by dropping is different a... listen the fact that you could also negate this damage is what i'm thinking is like helping to balance it right now 
because you fall three meters, you take 3d6 with a minimum of three, but you also get to roll either acrobatics, athletics, or endurance to negate some of that damage. And right now I have a two skill in both acrobatics and athletics, so I could potentially negate 2d6 of the 3d6, making my potential damage like three to nine. I think right now I'd like to just say that there's no minimum damage taken. Let's just keep it as is, and then we'll, like, if if we start rolling really high on our athletics, acrobatics, and endurance checks and start avoiding a lot of falling damage Mm -hmm. from, like, 10 or 20 meters, which is really difficult (laughs) to do. But if that's Mm -hmm. something that starts happening, then it's something we should start worrying about. But right now, I think that it's okay as is. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. The only other complication I have, and it's, it's not a big one, so it's not a big deal. But I did say that narratively it is hard to describe how damage is avoided through the use of an endurance check. Like, are you just absorbing that through your body? Like, oh no, I'm good. Have you guys ever hit a baseball with a baseball bat and it and your like grip is not loose? It hurts like a motherfucker. So that's where I'm kind of like, oh, you're just going to land it and be like, Psh, good. Like, because narratively, acrobatics and athletics makes sense. Because athletics would be Superman or superhero landing. Yeah, acrobatics would be like jumps or rolls. So I like that endurance is one of them because it's one of those like main uh, like fortitude stats. But I agree, it is it is something like what would be the difference between endurance and athletics when you're landing like that? Because in all reality, like you're still falling on your bum, you're just taking it. You're just like, oh, my butt's been through worse. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I feel like maybe that would make more sense if endurance wasn't one of the skills and instead it was just acrobatics or athletics. I'm thinking either that or just kind of like equate athletics and endurance together at that point. So yeah, either one is going to be a superhero landing, but one of them is because you're just like bulky and you take a lot of hits and one of them is because you're super strong and you hit real hard. Okay. So narratively, um, they both do the same thing. It just provides another option for players. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Okay. In that sense, I'd rather keep endurance because we want to give everybody as many options as they can, as, they, as like we can give. I'm open to either getting rid of endurance or keeping it for that reason. Um, I think we just need to play a little bit more with it. Cool. Um, then at this point, I'm going to say we're probably going to go ahead and keep the rule as is and address complications as necessary, and then re- rework and possibly adjust rules. Um, and those adjustments um. will either be removing the endurance skill or adding a minimum falling damage. Cool. Then next is round length. I added this just because we goofed so many times. <laughs> um, we, Because like I specifically said that each round was 10 seconds, and I think I did that specifically to be different, and that's mm-hmm. just silly. Um, yeah. We should make it simple, make it easy, and so with that in mind, I decided that we should go back to six seconds, especially because in episode three, we straight up said every round is six seconds, even though two <laughs> weeks prior we had said that every round is ten <laughs> seconds. So I just wanted to be yeah. like, okay, it's six seconds. That's that. The effects that this has is it makes it so that each round is like each each minute is ten rounds instead of being six rounds. We also already discussed the fact that like. 10 seconds almost adds an entirely new turn in in, a, in like that round. Um, and then, like I said, this is something that a lot of other tabletop RPGs use is a six-second round. So changing it would be detrimental to us, I think. Do you guys see any complications with doing this? Because I didn't. No, I think that this is going to make things a lot easier. Not that we really hugely pay attention to the round timer anyway or at least i don't i do i mean if i have like a chant that's gonna last like a minute then i'll pay attention but i mean typically the round is over at that point so far so far i guess <laughs> i guess that's we fair haven't found any like deadly beasts or anything yet so yeah All nothing right. that's taken you know more than a minute to mm. defeat um okay then that's really all I wanted to address. I think we're just going to stick with the six-second round timer for now. And if we're just like, you know what, this is bullshit for some reason, then we'll address it again later. So next is critical hits and misses. Literally in episode four of Hello Adventurers, we made a decision to add crits. 
I did this narratively to um, just kind of help you guys and um, address a flaw in the monsters that I had created where if a person critically succeeds against the soul charged then the soul charged would explode because the soul conduit or the anima conduit would be destroyed right or if the soul charged critically missed an attack then what happened with raven's body would happen where like their soul conduit broke and they exploded so that was literally the only reason that i as a dm decided okay we're gonna go ahead and do it this time rather than wait to come up with a solid plan yeah because we had discussed crits before but we had never really like fleshed them out or decided exactly how we wanted to do it yeah but so um what i wanted to do instead um is make it so that anytime you roll a six on a d6 for a skill check you get to roll another dice and then if you roll another six then you get to roll another dice until you don't roll another six and all of those add together to um, create your final skill check. Um, this will make it so that even if you're only rolling 1d6 on an endurance check that will require a 12, you have a, a chance of actually making it. Um, which I wanted to do because, I mean, listening to the consumed fight, you guys got wrecked. And part of that was the fact that you just couldn't like beat his checks. And that's not really yeah. fair to you guys. As difficult as I want the game to be, I don't want it to be frustrating just because you can't do anything. Right. Yeah, it almost it almost negates the point. Like the reason for us to roll would be because we have a chance. Exactly. If, yeah, like if you find a point where there's no chance, why even roll? Like, hey, I failed. Um, so that's why I came up with that decision. I did say right now it's just checks, no mm -hmm. damage. Um, and then also yeah. I think that's actually that's kind of the some of the effects that I have written down. Do you guys have any other effects that you wanted to do, that you wanted to address? Um, with this and thinking of falling damage in mind, um, it is another potential to negate your fall damage. True. Um, but again, like we said, we're going to run tests on that just to be sure. And I think putting these two together to form that test is going to be a, a really good platform for us to go from. I like I like that point. That's a really god. This is why you guys do more than just me doing it, because otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't think of this stuff. That's why we're a team. That's right. Um, do you have anything to add, Britt? No, not really. Um, I I don't really have a lot of opinions on the crit structure. To be completely honest. Okay. Um, one complication that for some reason I wrote in the effects um, was that if somebody rolls five to sixty sixes, they have a one in six chance of re-rolling those dice and adding them. So we may need to start looking at like increasing defenses for both players and monsters. Um, and the way I'd probably recommend doing that is just like saying, oh, armor is going to get more than a plus one because that's what our armor's at right now. Right. Um, and then like that'll help because like at this point you can start rolling 40s and 50s potentially. Mm -hmm. That's um, really rare, but still. Yeah, it'll be rare, but also I like that it, it gives more opportunity, too, because sometimes I feel like um, as a melee and with the way I've built my character, I get to, I often hit a lot more than everybody else, and I've definitely noticed it's it's kind of frustrating, because I'll hit and I'll do decent damage, and then everyone around the table will miss, and then they'll come back to me and I'll hit and I'll do decent damage. But I feel like this way, you're, it gives you more opportunity to like hit even with those lower skills. So then uh, a player such as like when Mal wants to switch from casting to shooting his gun, he can try to do so without having to then be like lost, sort of the way you get lost when you multi-class in D&D. You kind of lose out on some things. So I feel like people not being really hyper-focused like I have with Thurgo kind of lose out because they haven't been able to get those skills up as high as mine. So it gives them a bit more of an opportunity to kind of do more things. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying this. I like that point, especially because um, we wanted it to make it, we wanted to make the game so that you don't have to be hyper-focused. You can play it however the heck you want. Yep. And this helps with that. Yeah, so exactly. Cool. 
I think we'll want to like observe, maybe touch up on like what we're thinking about it every couple arcs, um, and then go mm-hmm. from there. Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I do want us to work on this arc, we don't have to have a plan, but I would like to have a plan at the uh, next rules episode, is what we're going to do about crits. We talked about a 10 plus being a crit. Um, whether that's like you exceed their defense by 10, or you miss their defense by 10. I think missing their defense by 10 is very unlikely <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to, I, I do want to have criticals. It's just really complicated when we're only using a D6 system. So before we actually implement them in this arc, I'd like to flesh out a solid plan. I say this so that we, when people are listening, um, and they're like, oh man, that person exceeded that, like they did in episode four, but they're not doing crits anymore. This explains why. So we're just removing crits for the moment. We're just increasing the opportunity of succeeding through rolling sixes. Yeah. Cool. Anybody else have anything they wanted to add about this, like complications or effects? Nope, um, not about crits, but let yeah. me be real, I'm super pumped about what we're talking about next. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just excited for us to work on fleshing out the next bit, um, just because with this it does give hyperfocus an opportunity to crit um, with uh, some sort of new system, and so I'm just looking forward to building on that. Something I would like us to also consider is maybe what happens when a person rolls a 1 on their d6. Right. Mm. Just just something that I'd like to like consider, think about. Nothing we have to do, nothing like, oh man, we better come up with a rule for if we roll 1s. I just want us to think about it. Okay, AP spent to improve forms. Brittany, would you like to discuss this one? Yes, God. Okay, so <laughs> this rule, originally how we had... Um, AP is that if you spent an additional AP to cast a form, you would add another D6 to like your damage. But what we found, we also didn't have a limit for how many AP you could spend. So literally, I could just like tack six AP on and roll seven D6 for damage and just shred, which I did, and it was great. <laughs> but we found that it was too OP, so we decided to change it. And when we changed it, we decided that you could spend an additional AP and you would get to add one damage and you could only spend as much AP as you had ranks in that school. Um, I think that we overcorrected when we changed that. I think that we, when we limited the number of AP and then only allowed for one damage to be added, I think that it was it was like too much correction because now we're not like not doing anything and there's like no point to spend more ap at that point so we've decided to change it back to how it was in like when we originally were playing and if you add an ap you can add a d6 to your damage but we're keeping that you can only spend as much ap as you have ranks in those in that school um just because again we don't want to be like rolling seven d6 just for fun so i wanted to add a little bit more to that it was it's more than just damage it's also duration and distance so if you decide that you want to increase the range of your form instead of just adding an ap to add one more meter to that form you'd be adding 1d6 meters to that form which i mean is a whole nother opportunity for like your range whereas one meter was not was not enough it just wasn't as well i wanted to address the risk threshold that we um added so you you spend the ap that you have in the rank of the the skill or the etheric school um but you can still spend more than that you just run the risk of harming yourself or others around you with our risk threshold table um, so you could still deal like 76 damage if you wanted to, but you could possibly also deal that 76 damage to yourself. So l- you can do these things. There's just the potential for taking damage or other um, consequences. Do you guys want to add anything to this? Uh, I'm pumped as hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, only that I'm excited. Okay. You don't even use, what do you use AP for? Nothing. No. I'm excited for everybody else, because like I said, it's it's frustrating for me, 
when I watch everyone at the table, like, miss or do so little because of the way we've done forms, it's still frustrating for me. Could you imagine, with the lift form, adding AP to increase the range that you can lift somebody <laughs> by another D6? <laughs> lift them 78 feet in oh here. Just God. drop them on their face. Rip person. <laughs> so some of the complications that I identified was the real reason we originally changed this was because Mal was healing an, inord- like an extraordinary <laughs> amount. It was seriously like 5D6 healing mist every single round. And I was only dealing like 2d6 damage to you guys. So that was that's the reason why we originally changed it, but we did add the risk threshold. So this is this is just me saying like if this starts happening again, we have to identify another solution. And maybe it's that monsters just get harder and start dealing more damage. Um or we have to find like another a new balance for this. But I just wanted to address that there is that complication that does still make me a little bit nervous. Um, I, I think with the limitation that we set with the, this risk threshold is going to keep it more balanced because instead of Mal now being able to throw 5d6, he's going to be held back to be throwing, what, like 2 with his school rank, which is going to balance it out, but it also gives him the opportunity to push his limits and try to throw a few more, getting the like, clutch healing in at the risk of Mal's well-being or... Nix's well-being, um, so I, I still think it the the risk reward is there um, while also keeping it more balanced than just throwing out so many d6. That's true. I think that'll be I think they'll be more beneficial that way. That like if if Mal had wanted to heal you guys as Nix while um, fighting that consumed, he would have been able to when it when like bef- when like it ended up being like only three damage. Because he only got to add a plus one with that AP, so yeah, I think it's gonna. Exactly. I think it's gonna be more beneficial. Yeah. Here's the big one, yeah. though, that we have to work on. Um, we have specific perks that already do add an, an extra D6 damage by just being there. You just take that perk and you just get that increased damage. And then we also have items that boost range, duration, and damage. Mm-hmm. So we are gonna have to. Um, revisit some of those i think perhaps maybe not necessarily the um the perks as much we'll have to look at them to be sure but items like i mean if if nariel's staff has three ranks and is dealing 3d6 damage and then nariel also decides i'm going to add some extra ap eh, now that i say it out loud it doesn't sound as bad i don't know it's something that we'll want to like monitor i guess yeah and with that, if we notice it is becoming a lot, we could also, um, like, do something to monsters if needed, um, or, damn, I don't know. Like, because we, we thought about it, and with a rank 5 staff and a rank 5 in your school, you would be throwing 10d6s for damage. Yes. <laughs> which... Though, if you think about it, how much do you throw for a level 9 fireball? That's right. That's fair. Because that would, that would essentially be what that is. You're with a rank 5 staff and a rank 5 school. That's whether you rushed that, and like I've done with some of my stuff, or whether you've played the game a lot and just naturally made it to that point. That's essentially a level 9 fireball. That's fair. So, Yeah. So, like, now me throwing 10d6 for damage would be, like, a heck of a lot. But, you know, when we gain 80,000 more XP, it's <laughs> we're going to be facing, like, god-level monsters. So it's going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do want to still revisit this rule again at the end of Arc 2 uh, before we start up Arc 3 just to say, hey, how do we feel like it went? How do we feel like it's going? Should we keep it or should we keep modifying it? Um, that is the list of big rules that i wanted to address i'm sure we'll have more uh next arc but is there anything else you guys wanted to add before we jump into character introductions for arc two uh just a note this was our first time recording in separate places with our microphones so hopefully it went well let's hope so guess we'll find out when you edit it huh We'll find yeah. out. All right. No pressure or anything. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, Brittany. Well, we are Fine. we are going to jump back into a big group um, when we record the introductions. So uh, here we go. Mm-hmm.
Hey everyone, it's Brittany. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode. Um, If you really like these episodes, be sure to let us know and also let us know if you have any questions. I don't have any names this episode just because it's uh, just the rules, but if you do uh, want a chance for your name to be featured on the show as a name, please follow us on Facebook or Podbean or you can tweet about us using hashtag TheForgeCast. I also want to give a quick shout out to Darren Curtis, who is the guy who composes all the music we use in the show. He uh, composes a lot of music that you can use in commercial and non-commercial projects for free, and he's really awesome. So check out his website at darrencurtismusic.com. Also guys, the pre-alpha is going to be out pretty soon. I know that it is our goal to get it out within the end of the month, so by June. Um, So if you would like to sign up to receive that pre-alpha guide, please um, go follow the link that is in the description of this episode and it'll take you to a little form you fill out and you'll get a PDF of the alpha guide when it comes out. We're really excited to have a lot of people test this game, so if you're interested, please go to that um, form and fill that out so that we can uh, send you a copy of the guide. Our next episode is going to be next Thursday on May 8th, um, and that is going to be episode one of Arc 2, which is called Foul Play, and I think you guys are really going to like it, Um, and you are about to meet all of the characters from the next arc, so uh, stay tuned to learn all about our new characters, and enjoy! Thanks, guys! So, really quick before we go into character introduction, I just want to let everybody know what we're doing. So, I'm doing some unconventional things with this podcast in that every other arc we're going to or we're going to switch character parties. So, every odd arc, we will visit the Aetherhold crew and every even arc will visit the um, Grand Cathedral bunch and then like the stories will, the story will come together in that route. So, we already did a um, character introduction bit for the Aetherhold group, and now we're gonna, well, with this with this rules episode plus character introduction, we're gonna do the Grand Cathedral group, and then after that, we're not gonna see any other character introduction episodes. Just so everybody knows, yeah. um, who wants to go first for their backstory introduction? I'll go first. (laughs) All right. I'm Maddie, and I'm playing a human female wizard druid named Sylvie. When Sylvie was younger, she grew up with her mom and her dad, but her dad just kind of bailed, like, middle of the night, no goodbye or whatever. And um, Sylvie's mother was always very, like, no practicing aether, no form casting and stuff, even though, like, her mom knew that she had the potential to do it. Um, and this made Sylvie really upset, so she'd, like, escape to the library. Yeah, she'd go to the library in Grand Cathedral and study about uh, magic and plants and animals and stuff. And her mom didn't really let her outside the city limits because, granted that she could come back to life, her mom was still terrified. Um, so she just kind of restricted Sylvie into the city and... Her being away from nature made her grow into, like, like nature called to her, basically, which is where uh, her druid parts of her come from. So, um, as Sylvia grew older, she started to secretly practice form casting, and she got really into learning about plants and animals, like I said, but also into, like, potions and poisons, but uh, one day she decided to make a potion or a poison that would just make her mom become a little ill for a couple of days so she could go out into the wild and stuff. And she accidentally killed her. Shit, Maddie. Like forever? Her mom's, yeah. What happened to her? Like, so your mom was uncomfortable with Aether in general. Yeah. So she was one of the people who just did not have a phylactery. She just refused. Yep. She didn't have a phylactery. She gave me a phylactery. But she didn't have a phylactery, and I didn't know that. And I didn't mean to kill her, but she died. So now carrying the burden of my mother's death, I go around trying and studying extra hard to use potions and poisons for good. And not many people know about me killing my mom, because that's something that's my deepest, darkest secret. And that's why I party up and try and do the best that I can because I killed my mom and I don't know where my dad is. 
book. Girl, shit. You have no idea how much that's going to apply to the story. Dude, boy. You have no idea. Yikes. That's, so that's a really cool backstory. Was that good? Okay. Oh, yeah. That was really good. I'm super pumped. Like, I can I can use the shit out of that. <laughs> so my name is Richard, and I'm going to play the dwarf cleric Brom Hammerbeard. Compared to Maddie's, I'm real boring. So both my parents are alive, and I like them both. And they kind of helped me, like, get into the church, but they didn't really want me to, like, become a cleric, but I did anyways. Um, as sort of, like, my own little, like, rebellion, but it was one of those, like, dumb, like, oh, I'm, I'm really good at everything. Like, a student would, like, rebel against their parents by going to a different college than they wanted them to. Something dumb like that. So, um... When your parents decided that they wanted, they didn't want you to become a cleric of the order. Um, was it that they didn't want you to become a cleric of the order that is like the dwarven order, or just like the order in general? Um, so they're more like convinced that all clerics are bad because of these things that have been happening. They just like don't want me or really anyone associated with just the clerics or the order at all. Um, just. What bad things are we talking about? They're missing. The, like yeah, the, the flactors. The flactors are missing. <clears throat> Has that been happening long enough that... It's been like a month. I think, yeah. When did... Oh, I guess I didn't realize you became a cleric like that recently. That's why he only has six HP. That's, yeah. Oh. That's, why I don't, that's why I don't know too many people around. I know like a couple of them. Like the, oh, okay. the important ones. Yeah. Yeah, they just don't want to be... They just don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. So, uh, they, they just don't... They don't approve of the way... The Order has been handling things, um, so they just didn't want me to join up. But I decided that, I don't know, that something's going on, and I want to help get to the bottom of it. And then through this, also, if I can do a good job and show them that it's not the Order, it's like something bad is happening, then I'd like to do that, too. Nice, so. nice. I like yeah. the motivation. Did you have anything else you did want to add about that? Um, no, because that pretty much leads up to right where we are. Cool, so. cool. Um, I'm Brittany. I'm going to be playing uh, a gnome rogue slash wizard named Humility. And I am Malachi. I'm going to be playing Humility's twin, Hubris, who is a gnome gunslinger. Uh, We were street rats growing up. Just kind of had to make our way through Grand Cathedral by stealing stuff and playing tricks and building things on our own. Uh, We live in a ratty... Crappy little loft. You probably have to climb like six buildings to get to it. Oh, do you have anything to add, buddy? So uh, with Hubris, Hubris remembers uh, what happened to us with our parents. And um, that's why they have um, such a shitty demeanor to most authoritative figures and uh, have a shaved head because they just went apeshit on themselves once. No, and I think that uh, humility kind of adopts that disapproval of most authority figures just because hubris is like that, and hubris is like their older sibling, um, so she just kind of like does whatever they do. By how many minutes? <laughs> uh, five. Five minutes. Okay. We don't actually. Why would we know that? That's a fair point. <laughs> so, I distinctly remember this. So hubris just tells you that they're your older sibling. Yeah. Well, that, and it could just be, like, uh, the way they look at him. Uh, they don't even necessarily need to have come out first. It could just be, like, their twins, and then humility feels hubris was elder. Oh, yeah. Aspect. And less, like, age-related, but more like hubris is, like, the clear leader, and humility is just kind of with them all the time. Do you want to tell us about what happened with your parents? Um, hubris and humility lived with their parents for maybe a couple years when they were very small and uh, their mother didn't necessarily want them. Uh, It was an accident. And so she might've been physically abusive and uh, hubris tried to take the brunt of it to save uh, their sister. And you remember all that, but humility does not. Yes. Humility doesn't remember anything either by, like, miracle or trauma or age. And you guys just left? You don't know what happened to your parents? No. Okay. Cool. Um, how did all of you guys meet? 
We probably tried to steal something from them. Yeah, more than likely. That would be my guess. From Brom, you think? Probably from Brom, yes. especially if you were like a fresh initiate. We were probably just like, oh, look, fresh meat, and mm-hmm. like tried to steal mm-hmm. something, and then we're like surprised when he noticed. <laughs> you seemed big and stupid, so we stole something from you. Yeah, that sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brahm, I imagine, with your innocent, like, I'm just trying to do good kind of mentality that you were just like, you guys trying to steal stuff. How about I show you the path of righteousness? Yeah. <laughs> like, instead of stealing, how about I will help you? Yeah, something like that. They're getting paid. <laughs> We're <Yeah>. doing good. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, we heard the getting paid part, so. <laughs> Into rom, rom, that. Rom, rom, rom. You'll get paid, mom, mom, mom. Do you, like, ever go out and, like, collect herbs, or do you ever, like, go to the library? Because, like, that's, I imagine, like, that's either way is how I'd imagine weed meet. I definitely can imagine being in a library, for sure. Okay, that's probably how we met. I was probably studying, and we probably met there. Yeah, like, one of us probably had a book checked out the other one wanted, or, like, both wanted the same book. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Sweet. And you guys met up, and you were like, yo, I heard about a job. You want to help out with your herbs? Yeah. So really quick, I want to just sum up what my understanding is, and you guys add and correct me. Um, Brom, you came here to Grand Cathedral a month ago um, as kind of a rebellious outburst against your parents to be like, I'm going to go study, suck at nerds. Um, And upon arriving, um, you were clearly like fresh meat, probably an easy mark. So humility and hubris decided that they were going to pickpocket you. And, I mean, you don't have a perception of just one in this, in this arc. So your character noticed, or noticed, and then recruited them with the promise of payment. And then also through your studies and common interests, you and Sylvie met. And now you guys have all kind of bunched together for your first job, which we've already completed, and I'll address in a minute. Yep. That sound right? Yep. Yep. Miss anything? Yep. So then when the four of you got together for probably one of the first times, judging by the dysfunctionality of that <laughs> series of sessions. I mean, wasn't um, it though? Like wasn't it? <laughs> Kinda was. I mean you got your head bit off. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so did you. No. Was no. You. No, I did no, die. Yourself. I did, and I do still have the glowy bits. So you guys got together during your for your first job, which was offered to you, Brom, by one of uh, the clerics who knows you in your studies. He was uh, one of the guards, if not possibly actually the warden, of Arkham Penitentiary, the quote-unquote insane asylum, um, where they house those who have gone insane from dying too often that they're trying to like rehabilitate and reintroduce um, into the world with phylacteries so they can keep on living where like they're not giving up on. People were getting kidnapped from this penitentiary and it was your jobs to figure out what happened to them and bring them back so they could be saved by the order. In the process, you discovered a almost like a plot against the order as this cult known as the Lyca cult had actually begun corrupting Arkham Penitentiary and started trying to invade with their pagan god Lyca. Um, you met a few people along the way, including the hunter Dakota, who was there specifically because corruption was discovered, and it is the hunter's jobs, the hunters of the order, it is their job to weed out corruption and destroy it before it takes root within Coil. You found some of these Lyca cults and discover that they have the ability to actually transform into animals that they represent, um, such as rats, wolves, bears, tigers, rams, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then you found their hideout, which was this kind of small mansion uh, deep in the woods north of Grand Cathedral. Um, There you found that most of them had evacuated, but you did discover their corrupted well that they... Um, used as a power source almost. Other stuff happened in between. You found a weird shack on your travels um, that had the robes of a cleric, the mask of a cleric, a strange doll, and this really odd cage that was gnome-sized with this disturbing horror that ended up killing Brom. You barely defeated that. 
Um, and then you guys didn't go back, but there was that that shack there. Um, but where we'll pick up is actually where you will finish up your uh, quest with Dakota, turning that in, telling him about the mansion and stuff that you found. Um, a little bit of a backstory about Grand Cathedral, just because I went into a little bit about Aetherhold, didn't go into a lot of Grand Cathedral or some of the other lore. I just mentioned the Cave of Echoes. Um, this is a massive tomb within these mountains to the south. It's an unknown location, except for those who have visited to uh, bid farewell to their loved ones who have decided to pass instead of re-upping their phylactery. Um, or in Sylvie's case, something else. <laughs> this is actually the same cave that you guys, uh, as Karis, Janice, um, Raven, and Atticus were heading toward because that was the caravan that Arcathirian Arboron was on to bury a uh, prominent member of the Order. Um, tensions are high within Grand Cathedral as phylacteries have gone missing around the, um, like just in the area, in, in Coil in general, and nobody has forgotten the first time phylacteries went missing 11 years ago. So Grand Cathedral's like kind of tense um in addition this is a place of heavy aether pollution not from just a presence of aether but from an unnatural presence of aether so weather acts up very frequently there um it's surrounded it's it's built on an island known as the dragon's heart um and it's surrounded by this boiling lake called the drake maw lake and the perimeter of the of the lake um there are the suburbs of grand cathedral just where some people farm uh fish live and that is all protected by treants as well is this a very tropical region just because of the humidity i'm assuming that the lake creates there i'm sure there's a lot of lush like growth there are more deciduous trees than coniferous in this region but it's kind of like a it's kind of like a halfway point from the not necessarily tundra but like the colder portions to the north and the tropical regions to the south um, but the humidity does like bring sometimes strange strange insects, um, a lot of reptiles that you would probably not see in this region otherwise. And also it grows some strange plants, but there's not a risk of creepers here. The hot springs and the sulfur kind of prevent that. <clears throat> Any other questions about the area before we... Then I guess we'll pick up with our new group, Hubris, Humility, Sylvie, and Brahm in uh, a week.